AM 600 KIV, rockoftalk.com. I'm Eddie Aragon, The Rock of Talk with me. Well, Tigo and Tracy Venturi, the Venturi Real Estate Group from Keller Williams Realty. Pick up the phone and dial them directly, 448-8888. That's 505-448-8888 or welcomehomeabq.com. That's welcomehomeabq.com. Always a pleasure to have Tigo and Tracy live here in the Kiva. And uh, this week we're sans Tracy as... Uh, Tigo brings in an important guest to talk about uh, what's going on in the mortgage market. We'll, of course, have your uh, Statomatic and the rest of the stuff as well. Tigo, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Eddie. Great to be here, and Merry Christmas. It's Merry Christmas. Year, I guess a week uh, week from now it will be Christmas Day. So, yes, sir. Uh, but we'll still do a show. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Tigo and Tracy, never taking a day off because they love what they do. You never work a day in your life if you love what you do, and they do. And we also have Chris Cooper, uh, who's here. Uh, Tigo, I'm going to let you make the introductions, and I'll let you Great. take it away. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks for the intro. Chris, thanks for being here. So, Chris Krupar, Bay Equity Home Mortgage. Yes. Correct. Bay Equity Home Loans. Bay Equity Home Loans. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. And, uh, well, first, let's get the MLS number out of the way. Yeah. I need to mention my MLS number. It's 1395501. Hey, you know what? Since since you did that, I'm sure people hear uh, ads and different marketing pieces re- related to mortgage, right? Yes. And, and mor- the mortgage market or people advertising mortgages. What is that? Why Why does everybody have to disclose that number? So it's just regulation within the mortgage industry. Um, yep. We're very highly regulated. Yep. And so that is our license number. And that that's a national number. So we do obtain licensure in the states that we do business in. Yeah. But that MLS number is a nationally registered number. And we are to announce it, mention it, have it in print anytime that we're discussing business. So. Yeah. Got it. Got it. No, it's, it's, you know, I know I'm sure people hear it, you know, and I know there's some advertisers on Eddie station that are mortgage people and you know, that you, you always hear it like, oh, what, what is that all about? And it's funny because of course, in the real estate industry, we have the MLS, which is the multiple listing service, right. which is a totally different thing, the right? MLS. Yeah, right. exactly. Sounds exactly. familiar, but yeah, yeah. D- different deal. So, um, since we're talking, since you brought up regulations, I, I really want to start that. Well, so, so, so Chris and I, uh, saw each other the other day and we just started geeking out talking about what's going on in the real estate market. We're great and, at geeking out. Yeah, we are. We really are, <laughs> you know, on, on this, you know, data and analyzing what's going on in the real estate industry, as yeah. well as the mortgage markets, which obviously they're all, you know, go hand in hand very much. Yes. Um, one of the things that uh, gets talked about sometimes, but maybe not enough, is the regulation part of the mortgage industry. Yes. Uh, I, I think everybody I think everybody can agree. I don't think many people can argue with it. The problems that we had in 2007 and, of course, you know, when it really fell in 2008, a really big portion of that had to do with poor lending standards. Yeah. Is that it, fair? Well, literally, what had happened leading up to that was the deregulation of lending, per se. Yeah. And, and there were a lot of schools of thought behind that, really, to make the lending process more readily available to more people. Yeah. Right. And that's something that we're going to have to watch moving forward now with the way that the market's going. Absolutely. We, we have to be careful not to have administration step in and say, well, we need to make this easier for everybody and end up back in the same place. Yeah. So in, in that effort to make l- loans easier 
and more available to more folks. It just meant that the stability of those loans were not nowhere near compared to the, st- the stability of loans today based on today's regulations. And yeah. so, yes, ultimately, in the end, it was a perfect recipe for you know millions of people to be in a mortgage that anything goes wrong, a layoff, a fluctuation yeah. in income, yeah. and then things begin to destabilize. And so, of course, there were other things at play, but that those readily available, easy to obtain mortgages certainly didn't help at all. And and the thing is, they don't exist today no. to, to, to the, the the way they did back then, right? Adjustable rate mortgages—that's they're really not a thing, right? I mean, technically, you know, the, this fixed rates are so good yeah. that the need, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the benefit of an adjustable rate—we don't see it in our market. It was, you know, those were good short-term scenarios where that maybe the adjustable rate would be a full percentage lower than a fixed, but only for a period of time, maybe for five years. And then at the end of the five years, you had to make a choice, either to refinance into a fixed, or maybe you were only going to keep the property for five years. Yeah. And so, but right now, fixed rates are so competitive, they're so low that we, you know, we simply are not doing fixed, or we're not doing variable rates at all. We're yeah, not doing and, any variable rate mortgages no, in, re- in our our business. I, I, yeah, I, I, you know. So if we go back to two thousand and well, actually, I've got the chart here. If we go back to two thousand and uh, let's say two thousand and five, two thousand six, mortgage rates were around six percent, right? Yes, and. And and they actually moved up in two thousand and six seven I guess it was almost to seven percent right, and 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 the thing that's that's interesting about that, you know two thousand seven is really when everything kind of came to a head and was like okay problem here right yes um, the thing that was interesting though home prices really didn't start declining until a, a year later right so. Right. I guess what I'm getting at is there was a reason to have adjustable rate mortgages back then when when you had a, a six seven percent mortgage rate, right? Yes. Now we're yes. at these three three and a quarter three and a half, right? Right. So so the need for the variable and and the ability of investors to hold and service them at a low enough interest rate to make it lucrative for the investor, right? Just, the market just doesn't need the variable rates the way that they did. But yeah. yes, yeah. rates at six percent seven percent. If you could get a variable at five. Yeah. for at least five years, and you're going to sell the property or you're going to refinance, then yeah, then, the, then there used to be benefit to it. So. And, and I think the crux of this conversation is the, the mortgages that have been made in the last, let's say, 10, whatever it is, you know, back to 2008, Eight. nine, right? Right. These are very well underwritten mortgages. Yes. They're, they're, they're good. Yes. People want to buy them. They're yes. not, they're not junk. They're not junk investments, right? Right. Um, right. And, and so, you know, when, when we talk about differences now versus then, that's, that's a big one. Now, obviously now versus then we've got this huge move in home prices, yes. home price appreciation, yes. which, which is concerning for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of which is, is just affordability for people that, that want to get into buying a home and owning a home. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's some challenges there. Um, Chris, let's since we were talking about this, you know, two thousand eight thing, and you know how it, honestly it was probably mismanaged. A lot of people missed it, right? What happened back then? Yeah. But what happened in March of twenty twenty? Mm. <laughs> there was some really you you were telling me about this, and I think it's a really interesting story to understand what happened back then 
when everything kind of hit the you know what, right? And yes. there, there's been a lot of criticism of the the Fed for buying mortgage-backed securities, right? And so first right. off, explain what mortgage-backed securities are. So in the best way to describe it in layman's terms is mm-hmm. um, really, if you go back historically, it used to be that loans of any type or a mortgage loan, you went to a bank, yeah. somebody at the bank went back to the vault, grabbed a hundred thousand dollars, brought it out, gave it to the seller and the bank would give you, you know, however many years to pay back. Well, it's like the wonderful life movie, right? You know, it's it's in (laughs) Joe's house and it's in, yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, the Smith's house. Yeah. But now everybody's loan and unless you go to a small bank and they do what we now we call that a portfolio loan. So the bank's going to lend you the money and they're going to keep your loan for 30 years. Um, Those are few and far between rates are usually higher. And, and they're typically doing those because they need to get creative on the loan, right? Yeah. But ultimately, for the rest of us, most of us, your loan is an investment commodity. So you come to me, I take your application, we look at your credit and various factors and say, okay, I can lend you this amount of money at this particular interest rate, but the folks at my headquarters are already hedging those funds. They're going to sell that loan, resell directly to Fannie and Freddie, yep. although some other servicing bank will actually service it for some yeah. period of yep. time, right? So everybody's loan is earmarked to be sold. It's sold based on that interest rate that it's locked at. And then ultimately, big, big firms take you know, a billion dollars worth of loans and bundle them into an investment commodity. So let me just understand something. Does Fannie and Freddie actually sell those investment vehicles or do they still keep them on their books? That's what I don't quite understand. So so the way that it works, it basically you are giving people the ability to invest in, in a block of mortgages. I got it. Okay. Right. And so folks are able to buy mortgage-backed securities. So they'll often abbreviate that then just call them mortgage bonds. And so you are investing in that based on a block of loans that are sitting at a particular interest rate. And so really the mortgage loan, there are a number of people who are making money off of that loan as an investment in the long haul. It's really most basic or simple for us on the loan side, because for a mortgage banker like myself, we are paid by that investor when they buy the loan. So it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah. We do the loan. They say, thank you for this great loan. You get this percentage of the loan amount and the you know corporate gets the percentage and then a percentage goes to the loan officer yeah. and so Got forth it. and so on, right? But then beyond that on the secondary market and into the mortgage-backed security market, then those investments get a little more complex. So, so what happened in March of 2020 that, that really... You said something, and and I've heard this before, but we were on the brink of the housing market just screeching to a halt. Yeah, and most of that, when we when we're talking housing market, we were really talking about banking. Yeah, uh, predominantly mortgage banking, but keeping in mind that consumer banks or uh, depository banks, Wells, Bank of America, they're all heavily invested as well into mortgages, and so. Um, what was taking place, uh, and it's, it's hard to nutshell this thing because it is kind of complicated. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so as, as as abbreviated as I could make it, we, you know, rates uh, three and a half years ago, Tina and I did a mortgage three and a half years ago. Our loan was 4.75. That seemed really great for the time. And then in February, they just started talking about COVID. Yeah. And COVID then began to have an impact on the stock market. Historically, right. when the stock market declines, mortgage-backed securities do better, which means rates get better. They get lower. Mm-hmm. And so 
only the stock market was really taken the first significant hit from the COVID news and projected impact on, on global investments and so forth and so on. And so rates started getting better. In fact, Tina and I refinanced in February at three and a half, thinking that's it. I did too. You know, the lowest rate we had before that was 3.875. Yeah. And I think we got that in 2009, 2010 after, after the, uh, when we got into the recession. And so um, everybody, lots of people, started to refinance and purchase. And I did see a significant influx of folks buying second homes because that seems like free money at three and a half percent. Right, right. And a lot of folks buying investment properties, especially those wanting to do short-term rental scenarios. So there was this huge influx of loans and some of these loans were sitting there floating in mid-March, but a lot of them got locked. They got locked at three and a half, maybe Mm 3.375. And we went to bed on a Friday in mid-March. I'm trying to remember the date, 8th, yeah, 9th, yeah. something like that. And we woke up on a Monday and mortgage-backed securities decided to, for the first time in my mortgage career, follow the stock market in a, in a decline. And they tanked. Uh, we saw over 100 basis point loss in mortgage-backed securities, which meant we locked a bunch of loans the week before, which are now you know, uh, sitting at a low interest rate. And and today's market, this new Monday morning, we wake up and rates are higher. So, so, so let, let me let me just make sure we're, we're on track here. So yeah. so basically, we have all these loan commitments out there, right? Lots of them. Yes. A lot of them. A lot of them. And this Monday comes around and all of a sudden, the rate for those, the, the return for those drops substantially, which which basically means nobody wants them. Right. So you have commitments for this stuff, but nobody to buy them. And the sheer volume leading up to that crash, per yeah. se, in, in mid-March, the volume itself logjammed the banking system. This is where regulations, which were good, um, then began to create issues with banks moving money to each other on the short term. Uh, this was before the Fed stepped in and lowered that overnight interest rate from bank to bank, you know, basically to down to zero. Yeah. And they had to roll back and work around some of the regulations that were put in place because they simply could not move money. And yeah. so you'd have a bank with, you know, a couple thousand loans that they locked. They would call the investor, you know, or you know, reach out to contact the investor, and there was no answer on the other line. I mean, everything was log jammed. And we were watching mortgage-backed securities oscillate up and down over the course of several days as much as 125 basis points. And basis points is basically one one-hundredth of yes. percent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're just, watching just, these values, which yeah. typically you know go on a nice, slow, yeah, gradual yeah. line. They're, they're zipping up and down and up and down, and we're all holding our breath. I mean, we're, we were literally sitting there wondering, what happens? Like, where is yeah. where's the fourth quarter Hail Mary touchdown that's going to save... You know, well, the industry. It, that's a great segue. So yes. what, what happened? The Fed stepped in. Yes. So and that was the Hail Mary. The, the first couple, and the of, Treasury. Yeah, Tre- a couple Treasury. of things yeah. that had to happen is they had to then, you know, meet and roll back some of those regulations. They had to mm-hmm. free up money and, and make it easier for the banks again to get money to each other and move money around. We had to get liquidity. And then ultimately they needed to stabilize mortgage-backed securities. Historically, they never followed stocks. They would always move in the opposite direction. Sure. Every day that the stocks would tank, so would so would MBS. And so the feds realized the only thing to do was purchase the mortgage-backed securities. And they started purchasing them at you know, $30, $40 billion a clip. And that began to stabilize the market. All that drastic fluctuation that we saw leveled off, but it came to rest 
with mortgage-backed securities better than where they were prior to those several days of, of craziness. Yeah. And so they settled back into a place to where now rates were where they were at three and a half, three point three seven five. Yeah. We were at three even and maybe on a good day, two point eight seven five. Yep. And there would be other things that would take place that would drive those rates even lower. Yeah. Yeah. So so, so now we fast forward, okay, so we were talking about what happened in March of of twenty twenty. Yes. And in you know you can disagree with it or whatever what the Fed and the Treasury did. Yeah. The the thing is they kept the money flowing. And and, and yes. honestly, it's not much different than what happened in two thousand and eight with Polson and some of the stuff. Again, to keep the banking system right. working. Right. Um fast forward to today. The Fed uh this week came out and said that they are going to they're planning on tapering, right? Yes. Right. We hear that term a lot. So Basically, tapering means they're just not going to buy as many mortgage-backed securities, correct, for yes. the most part. Yes. That's part of it. Yeah, and, and all these things, is, these little subtleties, even just the announcements themselves affect the market. Right. So the first time that the Feds used the word tapering, which was months ago, we saw an impact on interest rates that yeah. actually set you know, rates a little higher. And that was the new plat, you know, the new base, the new plateau that we were working from. And so, yeah, that you know, they're talking about going from thirty, forty billion dollars of purchases down to fifteen, and eventually they're going to wean off of these purchases altogether. Yeah, uh, there's other things that the Feds did in the process too that they had never done before, which was actually buy bad debt. Uh, so the Feds got really creative in this market. Um, and yeah, there's there's folks that that side on both sides of that. But from our perspective and what I saw taking place in the market. They, they just needed to do something to stabilize things. And, and in the end, purchasing those mortgage bonds was really the only Hail Mary that, that they had. One of the effects that took place, though, and they actually tapered back a little bit early in the process, is they ramped up their purchases and a lot of piggyback investors jumped on board. Yeah. And so a lot of folks started buying them and they drove the value of mortgage-backed securities up higher than I'd ever seen. And we started looking at 2.5% rates on on a 30-year fixed. It's not that the feds didn't want us to enjoy those low rates, but that's not the effect that they were looking for. And so they rolled back for a bit in yeah. the hopes that these piggyback investors would fall off. And they just wanted to keep it stable. Yeah, yeah. And, and the stability, I think, is is the thing that, you know, obviously they, I, I think they want. Yeah. Um, so we we come to today, you know, we've we've enjoyed these 3% you know, plus or minus interest rates now for quite a while for yes. for thirty year fixed mortgages. Which, you know, if people don't understand, thirty year fixed mortgage, fixed rate mortgage is a rarity around the world. Yes, we in the United States have it really, really good when it yes. comes to this, right? Yes. Um, you know, three and a half percent down FHA, you know, mortgage programs. I mean, all these programs that that encourage home ownership um, is a a U.S. phenomenon for sure. Yes. Yes. Um, However, you get the, the naysayers that now say, well, look what you've done. Now you've appreciated the housing market by 25% in two years or whatever the number is, right? You know, it, somewhere in there, right? We're right. doing, you know, now we've had two years of, of some double digit home price appreciation. And some people point at the Fed and said, no, you shouldn't have done that because now you've driven up prices and yada, 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 right? Right. So, I, I, I'll, I'll take, I'll agree with that a little bit. However, the, the, the thing, and, and Chris, you know, this, I know this here in, in Albuquerque, we've been seeing 
a strong real estate market all the way back to 2019. We knew at the beginning of 2020, this is, you know, you know, December of 19, January, February, that 2020 was going to be a busy year for real estate. And yes. at that time, we were at, what, 4% interest rates, right? Yes. So the demand was already there, yes. right? Um, you know, COVID and interest rates and, you know, less people wanting to put their homes on the market, all that stuff drove yes. the supply demand, which drove prices. And, and we're still in that cycle. Yeah. Um, you, you, you know, you'd have yeah. to get granular in that to yeah. really break down. It's, it isn't any one single thing. Right. Of it course. Certainly it certainly wasn't never just is. lower interest rates that drove up home prices. Well, people... It could have been that there was a pandemic and folks stayed home or were, were, <laughs> really? were laid off and were in no position to list their homes or move or do anything different, right? I think I think our natural inclination is we just want the binary, right? We want the simple, <laughs> simple one-point answer, right? It's, again, if you go back to 2008, you can't just say, well, it was just this, right? Or it was just this. Right. It's a lot of things. It's the perfect storm of right. events. It, it could be that folks realized that they could work from home now. And yeah. so why sell? Why move? You know, for a while, people would relocate for employment. Well, that went out the window for two years and may never go back to looking the same other than, and you and I talked about this earlier, something that could affect the real estate market when you think about it. Now that we can work remotely, why would you work remotely in a cost of living area like California if you can work remotely in a cost of living area like New Mexico? So I think yeah. we might see some migration out of higher cost of living areas for those folks that can keep the same income but relocate somewhere else. So. Actually, I've got an interesting, I always love these counter-narrative stories. I saw uh, some research just, I, I was on a National Association of Realtors uh, conference here just a couple days ago doing a kind of a wrap-up of 20, 2021 and looking at 2022. And one of the things was a, demo, a demographer and he was talking about moving patterns. And the thing that was interesting Actual moving is down for yeah. 2021 versus 2019. So yeah. you know, but you, you everybody thought, oh wait, everybody's moving, right? But it's it's actually it's not. People right. are not moving quite as much, and we right. see that here. If we just go really granular here locally in Albuquerque, the number of homes, you know, on the market coming on the market is is lower. You know, this year definitely lower in 2020. Um, than than previous years, 18, you know, yeah. 19, 2017, and so on. So, yeah. yeah, the number of people putting their homes on the market has declined, which yeah. again is 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 skewing this whole supply demand question. Okay, let's do some predictions, Chris. So, wait, my go ahead. My, oh, go, my, go go go. No, no, I was yeah, gonna say my, your point. No, yeah. I was going to be I was going to be facetious and say predictions. My crystal ball shattered about uh, mid March. Yeah, I know. And it hasn't it hasn't worked since. And just before we, if, I want to make sure we get onto this topic. I know some folks are concerned about a repeat of foreclosures. Yes. Like that took place in 08 through, you know, 2010. Yeah. Um, difference back then was the immediate onset of the recession hit housing prices right away. Housing prices began to decline rapidly. And so when folks, for various reasons in the economy, were in a position to where they weren't able to make the house payment, they were also uh, upside down or break even at best. They didn't have equity in the home. So it was sort of a double jeopardy situation. 
Whereas now, and I'm, I'm sure you could yeah, um, yeah, yeah. validate this point, is that folks are sitting on equity in their homes. They have money. And so um, we have the furlough programs that are out there, which was a focus of concern. Are these folks going to just simply never get back to the, for, the forbearance program? For, forbearance. For, yeah, forbearance. Yeah. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, forbearance yeah. programs. Um, we, we hear, you know, whispers and rumors and things that, the, you know, that the federal government and other folks are really going to try to push for investors to get creative to help these people stay in their homes so that we don't have foreclosures. But ultimately, in the end, I think we're in a different scenario where because if somebody isn't going to be able to come out of furlough, but they have 10% or more of equity in their home, then instead of waiting to go to foreclosure and walking away from home, uh, they could choose to list the home, put it on the market, and then at least walk away with with some funds and get into a rental situation. So there are things about today's yeah. environment that are different than 08, 09. And that's just one of them, the, the strength of the loans. We've already talked yes. about that. The the, the type of buyers that are in these homes that actually own these homes. Yes. Um, there, there's so many reasons. And, uh, you know, the, the forbearance um, statistics, you know, at one time there were over 7 million people in the country in the forbearance programs. Now it's it just dropped below a million. It's now like 900,000. Yes. And I, I have a, a report that I can run here locally for New Mexico that runs and looks at all the Liz Pendens filing. If you don't know what that is, that's the pre-foreclosure filing. That's when yes. a when a lender goes to the courts and says, "Look, we got it. We're going to be foreclosing this this uh, property." It's like nothing. There, yeah. There's very very few in in the pipeline right yeah. now. So yeah. we'll keep an eye on that and see. But we definitely don't see a repeat. You know, I of don't what see. We saw. It's I, I can't see making a comparison between today's market and. 2008, 2009. I, I really, if, if, if we want to look for a, uh, I, I don't like this word, but, you know, some sort of catastrophe or some sort of, you know, big challenge that we have or crisis, that's, that's the word I was actually looking for, the crisis, it's the affordability, yeah. right? You yes. know, we, we can't have home price growth and, or let, let me put it this way, housing cost growth, that's both purchase and rent, um, at whatever it's been, anywhere from 10 to 15% per year, when you have wages kind of stagnant. Stall, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, we can't keep doing that. So that, right. that's really the, the, the challenge is at some point we're just going to get to a wall where people just can't afford yes. the, the roof over their head. And there's, um, I will tell you on this conference I was on the other day, there's a lot of stuff in the uh, policymakers' um, agenda about you know housing vouchers, down payment assistance programs, yes. affordable housing programs. Yes. Uh, that one of the things I'm hearing a lot about, Chris, is people are are uh, wanting to encourage local municipalities to do better on high density, allow for more high density, allow for auxiliary dwelling units, basically putting you know the the mother-in-law suite in the backyard or whatever yes. you want to call it. Yes. Um, so there's a lot going on in that world right now, but yeah. th that's really the crisis right now is the for the affordability right. or the building affordability and that's challenges. Push yeah. creativity, right? And that creativity is really to everybody's benefit. So as we can get more creative and offer yeah. more housing solutions, then yes. And, and I, you know, in another life, I spent about 14 years 
in the public housing arena. Yeah. And had been to a number, traveled to a number of wonderful cities that had come up with excellent mixed investment solutions for, you know, having a, a variety of uh, affordable housing scenarios. So I think we're going to just see more of that creativity moving forward. Yeah. I, I, my, my, my hope and wish is that if, if we do this, that they're not, that there's some sort of ownership program yes. and, yeah. and not just giveaways. Absolutely. And that's some of the things that I've seen. I've seen yeah. cities do uh, miraculous things. Uh, I was uh, in uh, Virginia, just on the D.C. border, uh-huh. uh, was working with some folks there at a housing agency, and they had built these. It was a, a, a townhouse and then two condos and a townhouse and two condos, and it was mixed um, it, uh, you know, it was mixed, uh, purchases. So you had some people that were buying them outright. You had some people buying them through affordability programs. Some of them were actually public housing. And so yeah. there was this incredible mix and, uh, it was all wrapped into an HOA. I mean, the properties were kept and maintained. And so you had doctors and lawyers buying these to be that close to downtown DC, but having other people benefit to get into the same places with affordability programs. So I've well, seen some and, really and, creative things. And, and we need that in, in the Albuquerque area. If anybody's listening, that's, you know, got the ear to some of the policymakers in the Albuquerque area, that, that we, we really do have some challenges yes. in that area, but it has to be done right. Yes. Um, uh, you know, some of the zoning stuff, yes. streamlining zoning, streamlining, um, yes. And the know, examples are out there. Oh, they are. So nobody has to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Uh, King County, Washington did some fabulous things uh, with their uh, mixed investment developments, which are beautiful yeah. uh, uh, neighborhoods that would rival the size of a, a development like Cabazon in Rio Rancho. Yeah. You know, so the, the role models are there. The blueprints are there. Nobody needs to invent the wheel. We just need to send some representatives to go see how it's done. Well, the the, the big challenge is the, the nimbyism, which is, you know, not in my backyard. Um, you know, I have a friend that, that tore down an apartment building that was just a, a dump and it's going to build this beautiful apartment building uh, back in its place and he can't get it through zoning now. Yeah. Yeah. Apologize. Yeah. Anyway. So, hey, real quick, quick Eddie. Projections. So, yeah. <laughs> quick, quick projections, Eddie, on interest rates. Chris, what are we, what are we looking at? So here, here's the reality. We talked about tapering. The feds are going to start to throttle back on how much they're purchasing as far as mortgage-backed securities. Before they started doing that and before the COVID effect, as Tigo mentioned, we were in the 4% range. Three and a half years ago, my, my interest rate on my mortgage was 4.75. But just as rates had cooled off a bit, but then before the COVID effect, we were around that 4% mark. And so if we simply just go back, once the Feds taper off and back off on buying mortgage-backed securities, if we just end up where we were, that's, that's a 4% interest rate. So, I mean, really, that's the best projection that I can give is, you know, the Feds taper, they stop buying mortgage-backed securities, we go back to where we were. And that, that's what I'm hearing from all the, you know, air quote experts, uh, you know, in the, in the space yeah. is, you know, for, you know, maybe just, just shy of 4% by the end of next year. And, and maybe wow. if the feds do a couple of, of these rate increases, which again, this is overnight rates, banks lending money to banks, so they're not raising mortgage rates by a quarter of a point. But if they have a couple of those bumps, it does have some spillover effects. Some of it's psychological. That might, that might push us a little further, but I just think we end up back up where we were. Uh, and then things go from there. But I, I, I see over the next two to three years, no no reason that inflation or things aren't going to keep us trending upward in in interest rates. Keeping in mind, when we were two and a half percent on a thirty year loan, our economy was in a bad way. Yeah, it was it was a bad place we're, to be. We probably don't want those. Again. We don't want that again. <laughs> <laughs> we do not want that again. That's not something we're looking forward to uh, at all. But as always, we're looking forward to our next home, our next investment, and the best advice that we can get out there. 
uh, Tigo and Tracy Venturi, the Venturi Real Estate Group from Keller Williams Realty. Pick up the phone and dial them directly, 448-8888. That's 448-8888. And Chris Krupar, how can people reach you? People can look us up on BayEQ.com and, and search for the Albuquerque branch, or you can actually reach me personally on my phone at 505-379-9079. All right, good stuff. See you same time, same place next week right here in the Kiva for our Christmas Day edition of Tigo and Tracy Venturi's Real Estate, Albuquerque Real Estate Talk right here in the Kiva. I'm feeling down, and I do appreciate you being